Thank you, uh, church family, for allowing me to go off for a couple of weeks. I was with the men at the men's retreat. Uh, I spent a lot of time with some of our guys, probably more than they want to know now. So, um, By the way, some of your guys in the church here snore. You know that or not, but some are louder than others. Um, but I'm not going to say who this morning. Then last week I was in Texas. I was actually at Dr. Tony Evans' church. Um, for a moment, for just for a moment, I had a little pastor envy. I mean, it's a big sanctuary. The baptismal pool is like on the second deck with the stained glass and all the cameras and all the lights. But you know what? I wouldn't give it up for anything. You guys are the best. And um, a church that size, it would be impossible to know each other, to know individuals. Uh, you'd be kind of distant. But it was fun to be there for the, the conference, heard some good speakers. But it's good to be back home. It's good to be here with you. So that being said, we're going to continue on, or we're going to wrap up this morning, actually, First Peter. I think that's where we are, right? First Peter? Yes. All right, I got some nodding, so all right, good. I'm not totally lost. I was going to be in trouble if it was somewhere else. Appreciate Joe's little sermonette this morning. I call those sermonettes, you know, kind of like raisinettes or sermonettes or just getting your, your mouth watering for scripture. Um, but it's a blessing to have that as well. So tell me what you know about Peter. All right? You've been doing this journey with me. What do you know about Peter? What would you say? What's the first thing when I say Peter? Who's Peter? Bold. Bold. Fisherman. Who, who said that? I know someone, someone knows. Oh, Jesse. Yeah, fisherman. Right? He's bold, right? Impulsive. Would that be another word? Strong, right? His name means rock, right? Obviously, we've mentioned when he wrote this letter, he was getting on in years. He'd been in ministry a while. He'd seen and done a lot of things, and he's passing this letter on to the churches, right? Not just a single church, but churches in an area, which is today modern Turkey, which is sadly, there's very little Christian presence there. But at the time, there was a lot of these churches. And Peter is, is writing to them to encourage them. Right? to encourage them because many of them are suffering. Right? They're under severe persecution. Nero is in charge. Again, they're coming after the, the Christians full bore at this point. And at any moment in time, they could be killed. That's the reality of their day. Again, they've been scattered. They've moved about. They've gotten away from their families. And at any moment in time, they could be killed for their faith. And so that's the backdrop to this. And if you haven't been with us, don't worry, I'll catch us up because it's been a while. But in chapter 1, we talked about Peter lays down that you're going to suffer as a believer, right? But yet we are to be holy, right? And we talked about setting that bar, right? Peter says to be holy as Christ is holy. That bar seems really high. And then we have a choice to make, right? We, we talked about we have a choice. The bar is high. We can either try to bring the bar down to our level, which would be wrong, or we can strive to be that way and realize where we are in that process. Chapter 2, Joe, I didn't call them dust, but I called them rocks, right? We talked about living stones, right? That we are called the living stones, and Christ is a cornerstone, and that we work together to build up the church. Chapter 3, I went out on a limb, right? I went into that dangerous territory of husbands and wives, and we had pretty much a whole message on marriage counseling 101, right? Our roles in relationship. 
We talked about submitting, right? Willingly putting ourselves under someone else. Not only in marriage, but in the body of Christ. And that that produces peace and unity and love for one another. And the last time we met, we talked about living that out. How do we live out our faith with the knowledge that things we're going to suffer for them, right? Some justly and some unjustly, right? Some suffering is caused by ourselves. We do it to ourselves. Some, it's no fault of our own. It's just part of our faith and part of our, our walk with Jesus. And so that kind of gets you all caught up to chapter 5. And chapter 5 is kind of the end of the letter, and as most of the apostles do when they're writing the letters, they kind of wrap it up and they kind of squeeze in as much as possible, right? The, the last thoughts. And so that's where we are this morning. We're going to kind of pick back through it, but it's also going to give us those last thoughts that Peter's trying to, to lay into his church for them to go forward as a body of Christ. And we're kind of focusing on P's this morning. I don't know why, but for some reason the letter P came out. And so um, three points this morning are going to be based around the letter P. And the, the overall arching of this is the purpose, right? Being prepared for the purpose of the church. So chapter 5 starts out in verse 1. It says, To the elders among you, I appeal to you as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. All right? Elders. All right? Speaking to elders, those are the leaders of the church. We have elders here. We, we use the same biblical model, right? We have elders as our governing board here. In fact, I don't know if you know this or not, but you have five elders, right? Five elders. It's an elder board here that, that helps steer the church and watches over them. Tony, Brandon, Steve. These are men who... And Joe. Yeah, you thought I was going to forget one of them, didn't you? No. And these are men who are willing to serve. Right? You can check with them. I didn't force any of you. I, I, you were asked, and you, were, you, know, you had an option to say no. But they willingly were willing to serve in that role. And can I tell you, it's not an easy role, <clears throat> not because of the pastor, but it's not an easy role to serve as an elder. They may say it is because of the pastor, and sometimes I'm sure it is. But we serve together for the benefit of the flock. So what does that look like? What does that look like as an elder? How do we serve you in leadership here? It's part of what it's talking about, right? And it says that it's uh, the same idea as a shepherd watching over the flock. And you're all individually sheep, right? So we called you dust this morning, rocks, and now sheep. I don't know if that's up or down, or how that's graded. But again, that's the Word of God, how He uses it. But sheep need to, to be tended, to be watched over, kept together. Sometimes they need to be moved, right? Kind of prodding along a little bit. And we do that through various ways, through encouraging. 
I'd say one of the, the, the main roles of an elder is to watch out over both spiritually, right? To encourage you to be reading your word. How's your walk going? Asking those questions. Are you here even each and every Sunday? I know some of you probably get tired of getting those messages from Pastor Charlie or other elders. Hey, I missed you last week. Where have you been? But that's part of trying to find out what's going on, make sure everything's all right. Where are you? I appreciate when you folks let me know ahead of time that, hey, I'm going to be on vacation or I'm going to be away this week. But that is part of being a good shepherd. Right? Now, there's some reasons for doing that, and there's some reasons for not doing that, right? It says it here, right? It says, not because you must, but because you are willing. God wants you to be, but not pursuing dishonest gain, right? Not doing it for the wrong reasons. As we've talked about many times, the Scripture tells us how we are to behave as believers, but it also says our motivation for doing it is important as well. What's in here? Why am I doing what I'm doing? Right? I can fool a lot of people, but God sees the heart. He knows why. And again, is it for dishonest gain? Again, it could be financial gain. Well, we don't pay our elders, so they, they're not doing it for that. But they maybe could be dishonest gain as far as notoriety, position, right? Those are just as dangerous. That would be one way that would be dishonest, right? Eager to serve, right? Yeah, not only willing, but eager, willing to, to sacrifice to do it. I was reminded this morning, just the very thing this morning, that, that ministry is not always convenient, right? I got a message this morning that someone needed gas this morning. Now, I could easily say, well, you know, it's Sunday morning. I, I got my message to get, you know, to, to get here. I don't have PJ helping me this morning. I got a lot to do this morning. But someone needed gas, and they're not here this morning. They're, they're someone we've been reaching out to in the community. Sometimes ministry is not convenient. It's not on our terms. And again, how we do that, how we approach that is important to God as well. It says here, not lording it over, right? Not, hey, I'm, I'm an elder, and so what I say goes. Certainly not, right? Elders, good elders, elicit conversation. They find out what's going on, what's best for the group. Not just one individual, but for the whole, right? It's that keeping the, the herd together, moving us forward to greener pastures. Kind of that, that mindset there. Verse 4 reminds us of, as elders, it reminds us of our place in this. It says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive a crown of glory that will never fade away. Right? Who's the chief shepherd? Jesus, right? This is, this is his church, right? It's not Charlie's church. It's not the elders' church. It's not your church. It's God's church, right? He's the one that oversees it. He's the one that knows what's going on. He's the one that's ultimately responsible. We are under him. And sometimes they use the, the phrase under shepherds, right? Which was common, you know, the, back in the day when, when there were sheep in the field, they would have multiple flocks, and a lot of times they would, they would need a lot more help. One person wouldn't be trying to keep all the sheep together. It would be people under them. As you grow, you need more and more help, and they would be under shepherds. But ultimately, Christ is the chief shepherd. He's the one that we all answer to. He knows us as individuals. Interestingly enough here, it talks about a crown. 
Now, I'm not going to get into it this morning, but if you want some homework for this week or you want to study a little bit deeper, there are seven crowns mentioned in the New Testament. So if you want to take a study and go look for those and see what those other crowns are, but here's one of them, right? They're the crown of glory. Some call it the crown of service. But that's here in the, the, the Scripture. Like I said, you can have some fun looking those up. They're in there, trust me. Verse 5 says, In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Peter here sticks in a, a proverb, right? God opposes the proud. Shows favor to humble, right? That, that pride thing. I and mean, we talk a little bit about that at various times because it comes up often, right? Because pride gets us in trouble. Pride separates us. It disunifies us. And then looping back here in verse 5, it says, submit, right? There's that, that word again. You can't get away from it. Right? It's that willingly putting ourselves under someone else. Right? We willingly do that. We submit to those in authority over us, and we submit to the elders in the church. And then it says all of us, right? All of us must close ourselves with humility, right? Not being humble is one of those godly characters, characteristics that we need. Promotes unity, promotes love, that care, right? Toward one another. Verse 6, that reminder again, humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. I love this. I love this verse. Uh, the, the imagery here, right? Uh, if you humble myself, therefore, under God's mighty hand, God's there to pick you up. Right? He's the one that's going to lift you up. Right? He's the one that can do that. He's the one that knows exactly where you're at. He knows what you're troubled by. And he's the one that's there to gently pull you back up. Right? Also, interesting enough here, the phrase he uses in due time, right? doesn't say in my time, right? Because if it was my time, I'd want it right now. That's my general go-to, right? I want something, I want it right now. But it says in Scripture, in due time. And I've found through the years that God's timing is always perfect. Not when I want it, but when he wants it. Verse 7, it says, all your anxiety, cast all your anxiety on him, right? Anxiety is a, a killer of many of uh, a great plan. Say it again, anxiety is a killer of many great plans, right? Fear or anxiety keeps us from doing the things that God wants us to do. Right? Part of the, the conference that we were at was talking about just even sharing our faith with others. Or sharing about CareNet. We were there as part of the pregnancy program. But just being able to, to, to witness or to share with other people, especially sharing with other men. And by and large, the, the number one thing that keeps us from doing that is anxiety or fear. It comes in many forms, right? <clears throat> I'm worried that I may lose a relationship. I'm worried what they may say. I'm worried I may say the wrong thing. All those things are anxiety or worry that keeps us from doing what God's asked us to do. 
all under the cloak right? If we're humble under God, He will give us the strength to do that. Verse 8 and 9. Underline those in your Bible or highlight those if you haven't because it's a familiar verses, but it's again, it's kind of the key verses to this whole section or even the key verse to this whole passage uh, in the letter in general. Verse 8 says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. So these are key verses and kind of ones you want to hold on to. You're going to need these at some point in time in your walk as a believer. But one, be alert, right? Be expecting, be looking for it. It's coming. Be alert. The NIV uses that, that sober mind, right? Or sharp mindness or, you know, be clear thinking. It's all part of that same translation, right? But have your head on straight. It's a Charlie version. Right? But be alert. There is an enemy that is going around looking to devour you, to, to take you out of the game. And I believe here when Peter is writing this, he's also keeping in mind that the sheep and the shepherds and the elders and that whole part, and again, another role of that, that shepherd is to, to fend that off or to watch out for the devil, to watch over. But the devil doesn't always bust through the door, Joe. Not that that wasn't a good example because he does sometimes. Sometimes he just lays out in the weeds, right? He kind of circles the flock and he's just waiting for someone to pick off. And if you know anything about lions, they, they don't usually run into the middle of the, the herd and grab something because then they, they scatter. They don't know which one. They get confused, quite often get away. But what they look for is the, the weak one or the one that's injured, the person on the outside. And in the church setting, that quite often is that person who's not quite connected in. You know, they come sporadically. They're not here. They haven't really engaged in the church body. They're kind of on the fringes. Those are quite often the ones that get picked off. Been pastoring long enough to, to know that, yes, church attendance is not, not a requirement. You don't have to be here every week, but it is an indication when you start falling away that you stop coming less and less to church and with God's people. It's an indicator that you're in trouble, you're maybe drifting. So we, if we know that, we know that that lion is out there, that devil is waiting to pick us off, then we need to be intelligent about it, we need to be looking for it, and we need to keep close, close to God and close to each other. Verse 9 gives us that encouragement though, right? That, that resist, stand firm in the faith. Can't hearken. It's kind of the same, similar language, right? That stand firm. If you think of Ephesians chapter 6, right? That, that armor of God. Gone through that many times. Uh, it was even mentioned at our, our men's retreat, right? About standing firm. And I always love that picture of standing firm. We're standing firm on God's words, on God's ground, and we can stand firm on that. That's our, our footing. That's our place of faith. So it's because you know that the family of believers, right? The believers, not just us, but all around the world, there are people that are suffering. 
right? People that are struggling. Appreciate the, the fact that our missions team gives us that little missions update, that little missions moment each week. That's, that's done on purpose, but it's also a reminder that we're not the only ones that have struggles. I'm talking about the family this morning, Cambodia, and their struggles they have as families, but also in that area. I try to get a program going, and it's not going the way they want. They need things. We know there's people that are struggling this morning in Ukraine, obviously, and even the surrounding areas. We have friends, PJ and I are blessed, we have friends in Poland and Romania and Hungary, and they've all been giving back the reports. They're, they're getting great opportunities with all these refugees, but they're, they're feeling like they're overwhelmed. There's just so many of them, and they're, it's day after day, more and more keep coming. And they're coming with hurts, they're coming with uncertainty. Many of them are coming that, that don't know Christ, and so it's, it's tough on them as well. But it's good to remind us that we're not alone in this, right? We have other brothers and sisters around the globe. And they're having their sufferings and their troubles as well. So I told you I was doing a, a couple of P's, and I almost forgot the, the first P, right? The, the first P is pray for your elders, right? First P is pray. Pray for your elders, I'm pretty sure if you ask them, by and large, what's the one thing you could do for them? Be pray. Pray for them. Pray that they hear from God. Pray as they lead. Pray for them. Pray that they remain faithful. The second part of it here is pay attention, right? Right, that looking for that devil. Pay attention. So number one is pray. Number two is pay attention. Number three we'll get to here. Verse 10. It says, in the God of all grace, who called you into his eternal glory in Christ, after you suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Kind of gives like a benediction here in the middle of his letter, and he kind of pulls it together, right? And this one here is perseverance, right? Perseverance. You are going to suffer, Peter's saying. He knows that's coming. But God knows that as well. I love what it says here. It says he will restore you, right? He'll bring you back to right place. He will make you complete. He'll make you whole. So you may lose something in the suffering, but he's the one that will bring you back to that place. kind of loses a little bit in the translation, but it says, it says he'll make you strong. And actually, in, in the way I was looking at it, it looks more like in the Greek that it's make you stronger, right? That you're actually going to be, be even stronger as you grow in Christ. And as you go through those sufferings, it makes you a little bit tougher, if you want to use that word, right? Firm and steadfast. We certainly talked about that this morning, right? That firm foundation in Christ, standing firm in our faith perseverance, right? Persevering in our walk with the Lord. And if he ended right there, it would be great. I mean, and that's fine. And that's the, the bulk of his teaching. But again, these are letters. And so he wants to identify with the group that he's speaking to. And so this last part here is just the, the ending here, but it's important. I always, you know, used to chuckle because when 
in Bible school, we would read these and we'd be like, okay, that's it. And we'd almost start to close our, our books and we're done, right? And like, no, no, these are important. These, both the greetings and the endings are important because it ties it in historically. It's what quite often that, the, that authenticates, authenticates, yeah, right, that's a big word for me to say. You know what I mean, right? It gives it authority in the writing. They use this to connect. They use it to help find the time. So the ending is important here as well. And so Peter writes, he says, With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I've written to you briefly encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. So he's mentioning Silas. Silas is another one of those missionaries. Silas went out with Paul early on in Paul's ministry. And for lack of a better term, they would interact. They would, inter, they would change teams from time to time, if you want to use that. In fact, in the Alliance, we send out ministry teams, right? And we also send out missionaries as teams, as a group. And sometimes it's not a good fit, and so they'll go with someone else, or they want to cover a certain area, and so they, they change who they're going with. Or maybe it's another trip that's at a different time. So Silas is one that is obviously with Peter at this point. And Peter recognizes him as a faithful brother. And he says, I briefly encourage you and testify this is true grace of God. Stand fast in it, right? Reaffirming his letter. And again, Silas would have read this as well, and Silas would have been in agreement with it. Again, just Peter wrapping this up. Now it gets a little cryptic and a little coded, and if you like mysteries, it's kind of fun. But it says, she who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love, peace to all of you who are in Christ. I say it gets coded here because it talks about she who is in Babylon, right? Now there's scholars that like to argue this out. Babylon could be the region, but Peter wasn't there much. Peter was actually in Rome when he wrote this. Most scholars agree upon that. And so many think that Babylon is just a code word for Rome at the time. You say, Charlie, what does it matter? Well, it matters, again, as far as placement and time. And so when they're figuring that out. And who is the she? Anybody want to guess? Because I don't know either exactly, right? But the readers of this, or the hearers of this letter would know. Right? So it could have been someone in the church, could have been someone that they were close to, maybe it was one of the original founders of the church, maybe it was Peter's wife, another possibility. There's, there's lots of them there. Again, if you want to throw any guess, that one kind of gets left out. Different. He also mentions his son Mark, right? Again, this Mark, there's a couple of different Marks left in the Bible. This is, is one of them that we're not exactly sure. It could have been John Mark. It could have been Mark uh, that was also a, a new recent convert, Peter mentions. I think there's up as many as four different Marks, so you can take a guess there as well. But again, calling him son means that he probably either was mentoring him or bringing him along, or it was his actual son. We don't know. Verse 14 is kind of a funny one for us here in America, right? Greet each other with a kiss, Right? kiss of love. We don't do that here so much, right? We don't do the kiss. But I can tell you when I was in Hungary, especially against the old generation, that was pretty common, right? Kiss on each cheek. And you started with the left and worked to the right. I had to remember that because otherwise you bump heads. So <laughs> you can see how that, you know. 
But again, it was a sign of affection, a sign of a greeting, probably like a handshake would be today or a hug, right? Something more than you just do with a, a casual stranger. In fact, in Hungary had this even a, a certain way that you would greet an older lady. It was a respectful thing. In fact, they even had its own word, chokolom. I remember the word. Don't ask me why. I know you can only do it with older ladies. If you did it with younger ladies, they were insulted, right? But it was a, a, like a revered aunt, and it literally meant to, to kiss her on her hand. So you would take her hand and you would kiss her hand out of respect. Again, Peter has in mind here the church, right? Keeping us together and that, that love that we have for one another. Again, greeting, shaking hands, hugging, certainly is here acceptable and, and part of that. Again, kissing in some cultures is perfectly fine too. That's the, the normal, Right? So, again, Peter has in mind here the church keeping them together. And then, again, remember, Peter is a Jew, last and but not least. And, again, he doesn't miss out on this shalom to all of you who are in Christ. Right? That, that Jewish tie doesn't leave. It's, in fact, that is almost the exact same phrase in chapter 1, right? That, that greets you with peace, peace in Christ. So this letter was sent to churches that were struggling, churches that were under persecution, and it was sent to encourage them to persevere. So three points this morning. Pray. Pray, first and foremost, for your elders. Pray for your pastor as well, right? One of the elders. Pray. Two, pay attention. Be on alert. There's an enemy that's looking to take you out of the game. Pay attention. And lastly, persevere. Stay faithful. Remain faithful. Don't lose sight of who you are in Christ. Bow with me, please. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we again come before you, Lord, and Lord, as we've read your words through Peter, we're reminded, Lord, of your goodness and your graciousness on us the sacrifice that you made on our behalf. And Lord, as we are about to take communion shortly, Lord, we are deeply, deeply thankful that you paid the price, a price that we couldn't pay on our own. Lord, we also recognize that we need your help in this walk with you. We need you each and every day. We need you each and every moment. Lord, I thank you for our time here this morning. I thank you for each and every person that's here today. And Lord, just continue to be with us. Help us to stand firm in our faith. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask, I need a couple of elders this morning, a couple of elders that are willing, willing to serve communion this morning. Yes, as the kids are coming back. Thank you, Amanda, for getting them. So we have communion this morning, and Again, if you're visiting with us, our communion table is an open communion table, and it's open, and what that means, it's open to any and all believers. It's not a membership-only thing here, it's not a point-way-only thing, but it is open to each and every one of us. But Scripture does give us a warning, and it does give us instruction on how we should do it, and we take that very seriously here. In fact, Scripture says, it says, and whoever eats of the bread or drinks from the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. 
It says, everyone should examine themselves before they eat of the bread or drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. What we like to do here at Point Way is just take a few moments right where you're sitting, just close your eyes, bow your head, and it's just between you and God uh, and recognizing what Christ did for us. And then ask Bryce if he'll give thanks for the, the bread and for the cup that we're about to receive and what it represents. Heavenly Father, we thank you for juice and this bread, the, the symbolism of your body broken for, for us, your blood shed for us, Lord. That you came and that you lived a perfect and sinless life that you be able to take our sins upon yourself. Take the bread first. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on that he was betrayed. He took the bread.
And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. goes on to say, in the same way after supper, he took the cup. This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this, and whenever you drink it, remember me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink from this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and close us in song, and that's what we like to do as well, as we, there's some cups and some bread left over, and again, it's a reminder to us that there are still many out there that still don't know Christ, and what a joy it would be to have a, a day when all of those are taken, because there's so many here gathering with us, and so it should encourage us to share our faith um, with those who do not know, and share the gospel, so be reminded. Thank you. <clears throat>